Super, keep your Bibles open in Galatians 4, um, please do. Mr. Harpatar was my PE teacher, Jack Harpatar, good old boy. I remember in year nine, there was a real wake-up call, however. This is what Mr. Harpatar said, something along these lines. It was quite a long time ago, so bear with me, I'll paraphrase what he said. He said, Ian, didn't call me Langs in those days, Ian, in year seven, you showed ambition. You showed attitude, you showed aptitude. He called it the three A's. Ambition, attitude, and aptitude. Now, you just muck around. You're so frustrating. Ian, I won't waste my time with you any longer. Let's start at the end of the passage that Mike has already read to us. Galatians chapter 4. Mr. Harpatar didn't say, I'm perplexed with you, but he said, I'm so frustrated. And you get something of that from Galatians 4 of Paul, don't you? He's wound up by the Galatians. He's baffled. They've puzzled him. He's frustrated with these Christians. His desire is to be with them. See this in verse 20. He would love to change his tone. How I would love to change my tone. To be a bit more warm. To sound a bit more caring. But, but he can't. He can't. Verse 11, I fear for you. That somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Who has bewitched you back in chapter 3? Uh, we've got this the whole way through Galatians. We see Paul's frustrations. Why? Why? Why is Paul so frustrated with the Galatian Christians, What is bothering Paul so much? Why are these Christians now treating Paul the way that they are? Did you catch some of those phrases at the end of chapter 4? When Paul was with them, when he first preached the gospel to them, in a time of illness, they deeply cared for him. Verse 15, where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. We don't really know what was wrong with Paul, perhaps linked to the thorn in his flesh. We do not know, but there was something that was severely handicapping Paul from, from the work of the gospel. And they cared for him deeply. Look at verse 16. Now it looks like they're treating him as a threat. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul is in anguish for he loves them so much. And that is why he is so frustrated. See verse 19, my dear children. He can't move away from the feelings that he has for them. He loves them dearly, but he's in so much pain. He calls it like being in childbirth. Ladies who have given birth, that's painful. Paul is saying that's the pain that he feels. He is so torn by these Galatian Christians. One or two of you are looking at me, ladies, and going, no way. There is no way that Paul can feel that kind of pain. Paul uses that phrase for a hard-hitting punch. Perhaps you have felt such pain. Uh, Did you walk with a Christian 
Did you have a a good friend, perhaps a family member who trusted in the Lord Jesus and now they don't? Perhaps you can recall a, a conversation with them where they spelt out quite clearly the reasons why they no longer trusted Jesus. Do you remember that feeling, torn, deeply cared for them and yet so frustrated? That anguish, that pain, that's how Paul is feeling at the pit of his stomach. What is it that is bothering Paul so much? We've seen the heart of Paul's criticism in in Galatians and we the thrust of Galatians. Do not turn to the law as a means for salvation. Don't do it. Don't turn to the law as a means of justification, as a means to please God. This is what these Galatian Christians are being tempted to by these false teachers. And remember, these false teachers aren't telling these once pagan Christians because they weren't Jews, as Paul preached to them. Uh, These false teachers are not telling them to turn back to the law. They didn't have the law. What these false teachers are saying to these Christians is is that they now need the law. Yes, they've understood Jesus. Yes, they've trusted in him. But but there's something else that they now need. They need to come back to the Mosaic law. They worshipped other gods before, but now Jesus has done... he's, He's done suitable for the time being, but now they need other things to add to their salvation we would call it gospel plus the idea that yes you trust in the Lord Jesus but but you think there's still something more that you need to do or earn or to live by or to merit favor by God the gospel is good and yet there's something more that you have to do we would call it gospel plus And we see that they're living then for other things. We see this in their actions and their desires. And we see this because they've forgotten who they are. Their status, their identity. And you might think, if you've been travelling with us in this journey in Galatians, you might think, here we go again. (laughs) Rest up. I've heard it from Cy. And I've heard it from Johnny. And I've heard it from Greg. And now Lance is giving it a go as well. You see what Paul is doing? He's spent so long writing about these same two things. Look, you're living for other things. Your actions and desires are in the wrong place because you've forgotten who you are, your, your status and your identity. You've forgotten them. And he's driven those two, these two points through in different ways, in different angles. And the Christians in Galatia, they needed to hear it again and again and again. And that's why I think it's reasonable that Ian Lancaster and the people at Town Church need to hear it again and again and again. Because do you know what? I forget who I am. I forget my true status. I forget my true identity. And therefore, instead of living out who I am, I live for other things to try and create my status and identity. Do you know how you do that? Might be just one area that that perhaps you pinpointed, you know. 
might be a few areas that you pinpointed. You know, there might be areas that you don't really know, but, but perhaps a partner, a wife, husband, or a friend, perhaps they suggest that, do you know, it looks like that area of life has got a real hold on you. It looks like you, you worship that area. It looks like you find your acceptance in doing those things or in being with those people. Is it through your try-hard attitude? Is it the way that you try and earn your acceptance through friendship groups? Is it through being good, craving for the feel-good factor through regular exercise or good diet or tight patterns of Bible reading or prayer times? Is it through your sense of achievement? The word from the manager after a good completion of a hard working project. See, we all have ways in which we let our activity create our status. We all have ways. And I need to hear the message of Galatians again and again and again. That's why Paul is so frustrated with the Christians in the churches in Galatia. But let's turn back into chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, and drive through these two ideas. From slavery to freedom is the activity. From a slave to an adopted child is your identity. Do you get that? They're the two points we're going to drill down into. From slavery to freedom, that's in our activity. From a slave to an adopted child, this is your identity. Let's read verses 1 to 3 together again. Here's Paul. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. (laughs) Here's Paul. Look, what I am saying... Do you remember the end of Simon's uh, preach last week? Right at the end of chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You're all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So here comes Paul again, and he goes, see what I am saying? He just wants to drill this down a little bit further. Here's what I'm saying. An heir who is under age, who has not rightly experienced the full weight of the wealth that's coming their way. But perhaps you've experienced that, waiting, perhaps even now, or you've waited to inherit what your grandparents have left you. You're an heir, but you were underage, so you had to wait until the time was right for someone above you to hand it over to you. It was very common in Middle Eastern culture for an inheritance to wait until the 25th birthday. Not until then could you fully have what was always yours. It was always coming your way, but you couldn't fully have it. And you see what Paul is saying? He likens an heir to a position of a slave, subject to a guardian or trustee who oversees the estate until the time is set by the Father to give it. Paul is talking about the Jews under the law. So remember, these aren't Jews he's talking to. So he's talking about himself. He's talking about the Jews under the law. See, we used to be in slavery. 
it was still kind of okay slavery. So don't have in this mind uh, can modern day slavery, which is such a bad thing. I read recently on the news of a man in Cumbria shut up in his shed for 41 years. When Paul uses this language, it is not like that modern day slavery. We used to be in slavery, says Paul. The elementary spiritual forces. What Paul is digging down deep on here is the foundational building blocks of the universe. So, earth, water, fire, air, space. He's talking about the fundamental forces around the things that govern. The sun (coughs) and the moon, the stars. So he's saying the seasons come, the tides come, the winds come from these elemental principles of the earth. And these govern the religious calendar. Do you see? These elementary foundational building blocks of the universe. They govern the religious calendar. The mosaic law. It, it, it talks about the Sabbath year. Jubilee years. Festivals. Special days. They're all tied into the foundational principles of this universe. And, and Paul is saying that is how he was governed. So it's not bad. It's not like modern day slavery. He was governed by the foundational principles of this universe in which the law was set upon. But you see, the law was like a trustee holding the people in check. Uh, We heard from Johnny uh, that the law was there that it diagnosed the problem, didn't solve the problem. The law was there to protect them, to, to teach and, and it held the promises until they were ready to inherit when the Father said. Look at verse 8. Jump now with me to verse 8 because this is where Paul unpacks it a little bit further. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? The same word, elementary forces. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. And so Paul comes from his background as a Jew, and now he's teaching. Look, he says, formerly when you, the second person plural, when you, I've taught about myself and fellow Jews, But now you, these people have grown up as pagans, no privilege of Jewish law. They sacrifice to to other gods. And yet those sacrifices were governed by ritual. See, Paul warns them then that turning back to miserable and worthless elementary principles was going back into slavery to fulfill the rituals and ceremonies. That's what it meant to worship and to sacrifice to their gods. Fulfill the rituals and ceremonies. And Paul is suggesting that you wouldn't want to go back to these ways. You wouldn't go back to sacrificing to those gods. And therefore, what these false teachers are saying, in effect, is that if you go back to the law, you're following the same elementary principles that govern religion. Don't go from one enslavement to another. Don't. 
Don't do it. Why would you? And look as Paul talks about religious slavery. It's worth mentioning that in this age, everything that people live for that has not been redeemed by Christ is enslavement. People will always be enslaved. People will always be imprisoned unless there is a releasing of the chains. And Paul is saying, look, in your past, you wouldn't go back to that. So don't now move to another area area of being imprisoned, being a slave. One of my favourite movies, The Shawshank Redemption, some of you, I'm sure will have seen this. Do you remember the old boy, Brooks Hatlin? Remember there's a moment in the movie when his freedom has been announced. Time for him to go. It, it's like he'd had the best experience of prison. Hard to say because the movie's pretty grim. But... For Brooks Hatlin, it was pretty good. In fact, he was in charge of the library. So it's like he experienced something that was pretty good, but it was ultimately slavery. He was imprisoned. He couldn't do what he wanted. And there's a moment where he's holding another guy and he's trying to cut his throat so that he wouldn't be released. So that they'd throw him back into prison. So that he would be back behind bars. And yet, yet it was okay to be in that prison. Because of who he'd become within that prison. See, it's ridiculous when we think about that. But this is what the Christians in Galatia were being tempted to do. You were slaved and imprisoned and now you're being tempted to go back to be enslaved and imprisoned. The bondage of Religion. You see, the Old Testament law is the best of imprisonments, but you're still under bondage. Do you see? You're still in chains. You go from sacrificing to other gods, but the Old Testament law is still imprisonment. Rituals, rules, religious costumes, marking the dates, religious observance, that's not freedom. It's just window dressing on the prison cell, says William Taylor. In his sermon series. No, says Paul. Live like you're free. Let me just ask you a question. Give you 30 seconds. What do you think it looks like. To live as though you're free. Keller says this, the basic principle of the world seems to be that we need to save ourselves. For we know that we're enslaved. So we will worship what we think we need to fulfill ourselves to give us life. So let me ask you, as Paul is saying that any basic thing, money, sex, power, it can be worshipped. It can therefore enslave you. <coughs> Treated as a god. 
become the basis of your religion, man-made effort to save yourself, to redeem yourself. Whatever it is we worship, we will be enslaved by it. The chains need to be broken. What is it that enslaves you? What is it that stops you from living out your freedom? Stops you from living as free people? What is it? Is it appearance? Is it reputation? Is it your friendship, your pride in being such a good friend? Is it the desire for marriage? Is it sport, taking up too much time? Is it TV, wasting your life? Is it yearning to be liked? Is it your child's education? Is it your child's abilities and success or or lack of them and so you desperately want them to try harder? Is it your hard work? Is it your generosity? Is it your hospitality? Is it your evangelism? Are those things, things that you worship, that I worship, that therefore I'm enslaved by them? Because I think that I need them or I need to live up to them or or I, I need to work harder in them in order to feel fulfilled, truly satisfied. See what you are worshipping, what you think you need to fulfill yourself, to make your day or to create a piece of who you are. It will ultimately ensnare you from slavery to freedom, the activity. And second, let's go from a slave to an adopted child. You see, this is your identity. Let's read from verses 4 through to 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. But God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. But when the time set had fully come. See, redemption comes when God's law has fulfilled its educational purpose. When God's law has fulfilled its diagnostic purpose. We wouldn't have understood Jesus without the law. Do you get that? Do we see that? The law is not a bad thing, it's a very good thing. But it's God's initiative. You see verse 4, you know when we've just celebrated Christmas and we see the moment when God said, Now, now I will send him forth through Jesus, born of a human woman, born under the law, obedient to the law, to release those Under the law, now is the time I will send my son from God, as God, born from a woman, as man. If Jesus was not God, he could never have saved us. But if Jesus was not a man, he could never have taken our place. The redemption price. For what reason? Because we were slaves. We were slaves and he's taken us from slavery to adoption, sonship. The moment it happens, what happened? Transfer from us our sins onto himself. But also, and I think we forget this, I forget this. 
but he transfers to us all the rights and privileges of his son and then an heir. So he takes from us all of our sins and all of our mess and all of our mind. He, he, that's a transfer from us to him. But the other way around, here's the transfer the other way around. What does he do? He transfers all of the rights and privileges of a son and then an heir. See, unless we remember that, we will always be anxious whenever we sin and fail. No, my slate has been wiped clean. But then I think I've got to keep the, the slate clean. But it's not the case. So I think, oh, again, I've gone wrong. I've got to say sorry. And so my, my slate is wiped clean again. And then after a few days, I'll go back to him and say sorry. And my slate has been wiped clean again. That's not the case. Our slate, my slate, your slate has been wiped clean by the righteousness of Jesus once for all. That righteousness cannot be scrubbed off. No one can scrub that and say, oh, your slate's clean, but it's got the righteousness of Jesus on. I'm going to try and scrub that off. No, no, my slate is always clean. My slate is always clean. Do you see? We see that God sent his son to secure the legal status. Switch from slavery to an adopted son. And then we see that God sent his spirit so that we would fully experience it. Let's go verse 6. We've done. We've nearly finished. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You see what the son does? The son secures a legal status from one place to another. The spirit enables us to fully experience that shift, that identity move. Look what the spirit enables me to do. To call out Abba Father. Look, look, calls out is cries. So when we pray, it's not rehearsed. Of course, there's some merit in in working out what we're going to pray and there's some merit of course in in formulating your prayers before you pray Pete will have done that of course there's merit in doing that but when he's our father it's not that we have to come to him in a rehearsed speech every time we come to him no no it's you call out you cry and you call out because God the father is there you know he's there he's listening and you know he's listening it's like a, a daddy in the night. Some of you who are fathers. Oh, Tommy and Corabel never did this, but Talitha always called for me. Kerry was delighted. She was asking for you, so you best go and see her. Corabel and Tommy didn't. But you just hear in the darkness a daddy, daddy, daddy. On average four times and then I get up. The spirit enables us to call out. Because we know the Father's there. And we call out Abba, Father. It signifies confidence, love, assurance and welcome. Here's the extraordinary bottom line of sonship. And sonship, you know, means son and daughtership. You know that. It's that God treats us as if we have done everything that Jesus has done. That's how God treats us. And a heavenly inheritance awaits. Know who you are. 
Remember Simba? Mufasa to Simba, you are my son. You've forgotten who you are. Here's the call for us today. Don't forget. Don't forget who you are. You're no longer a slave, but you're a child of God. Since you are his child, you're an heir. Live out who you are. Work out what it looks like to be free. Trust. You've got nothing to prove to anyone. No guilt in life. There's no fear in death either. Keep coming back to the cross. See, the cross will change your activity. Because the cross is where you'll remember your identity. Live out your freedom. Because it's only, only ever grace. And we need God to help us get grace more and more and more and more. And then go and live as a free child of God. Let me pray and then we'll sing about this freedom.